Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Power From Poor podcast. This is your host, Jamie, as usual, and tonight I will be reviewing Port's emphatic win over Geelong in the qualifying final on Friday night. So the final score read Port 12-14-86, defeating Geelong 5-13-43. The leading goal kickers on the night were Aratio Fantasia with four goals one, Sam Pepper with two goals one, Stephen Motlop with two goals, and we had four single goal kickers. The major ball winners were Oliver Wines with 33 disposals, 16 of those contested, 10 kicks, 23 handballs. Travis Boak with 32 disposals, 16 of which were contested, 17 kicks, 15 handballs. Carl Amon, 25 disposals, 5 of which were contested, 15 kicks, 10 handballs. And Xavier Dersma, 24 disposals, 8 contested possessions, 11 kicks, and 13 handballs. So... My initial thoughts post-match, well, I was in pure drunken elation. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, who didn't listen to the preview podcast uh, with Aaron, and thanks again for Aaron um, jumping on and uh, going through the preview with me. That was pretty enjoyable, pretty fun, pretty interesting, and uh, a lot of lessons learned off and on the recording, that's for sure. But I was in a corporate box. On Friday night, I had the uh, luxury of a friend offering me a ticket after he found out that I missed out on the first run of uh, sales for the initial, what was the initial 15,000 that they put on sale. Um, So I definitely let uh, let that get the better of me. I definitely indulged in uh, many uh, many a refreshment and... um, in all honesty, uh, the memory was a bit hazy coming out <laughs> on the back end of it on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, but yeah, uh, as soon as the siren went, it was pandemonium, wasn't it? We saw it, Port supporters walking through the streets, hanging around Adelaide Oval for a, a long time after the final siren had gone. We couldn't probably quite believe what we had just witnessed. It was probably the first four-quarter performance for the year that we had played or that I can think of. Um, and Ken has even mentioned that, you know, if Port play a four-quarter performance, then look out because, yeah, we'll, we'll beat most teams and we'll beat them pretty convincingly if we do. And that's exactly what we did on Friday night. Uh, from go to woe, we were the better team. We played with more authority. We played with more system. And um, from the coach's point of view, Ken definitely outcoached Chris Scott on this occasion. It's probably the most dominant win in recent memory. I can't think of, obviously, not that long ago we had that huge defeat over Carlton. But in terms of opposition and at that such a high level of opposition or experience, especially finals experience uh, with Geelong. They, I mean, Joel Selwood was playing, I believe, his 35th finals match against us on Friday night. And, I mean, he wasn't alone. They have a lot of experienced finals players in Geelong. And for us to just put the foot down from ball one and keep the foot on the throat all throughout the match, even after they came at us after half time, for us to return serve and double down almost because, you know, I had a guy in, in that box uh, saying at three-quarter time, like, you know, I don't I don't trust poor, uh, you know, I'll believe it when there's uh, 10 minutes or after 10 minutes. I can't remember what he said, but I guess one thing this team has showed us over the last two years, to be honest, we've been probably the most consistent team over the last two years, is that we can kind of trust them a little bit. Um, you know, it's not the 2017, 2018 kind of team or the 15 or 16 kind of teams. This team is really switched on. And, and sure, we've had some bad losses this season, but they've only been in 50-50 games. And I've mentioned before that there are some mitigating factors contributing to some of those losses. And sure, we'd like them to go the other way, but now we've got a good opportunity for retribution and what better time than in finals. Um, and on finals, we are building a pretty good finals record. Um, you know, sure, we'd like to compete in more final series, uh, especially over the last nine to ten years. But when Ken has got us to finals, we've generally acquitted ourselves quite well. Um, uh, we haven't ever been 
like, sure we've had our losses, but we've never been blown out in a finals loss. And we've generally had good winning, um, good winning margins, I guess you could say. Uh, good wins in general. Uh, they had Rory Laird on SENSA and uh, he mentioned, they were talking to him about Paul in particular, and, and he mentioned that the players must, you know, it's quite clear that they love Ken and they play for Ken because they kind of lift in finals and it's all a buy-in when it comes to finals time. So that just fills you with immense pride and confidence going forward that if we've got 23 players on match day all buying in and all playing for Ken, they're all playing a four-quarter performance, bringing that manic pressure for the whole match, then, you know, we're pretty unstoppable. And it's going to be hard to change this team, to be honest. Um, there's been a lot of commentary, especially within the Port Adelaide community, about, you know, Mitch Georgiatis coming back and and who would go out. but to be honest, in my opinion, there's always an unlucky story. And at the moment, barring any major injury at training, which I highly doubt, I think Mitch for a 30-plus goal forward uh, for this season is going to be that unlucky person. It's just a matter of circumstance, uh, not too dissimilar from Tom Cleary missing out due to injury and now finding it very hard to find his way back in. But, I mean, we just beat a seasoned, hardened Geelong team, a very senior team, uh, to the tune of seven goals. So, yeah, um, personally, I'm not changing the team, but that's more or less looking a bit too far forward. Uh, I mean, I going back on the game, I predicted that if we're about or thereabouts at half time, that that we could probably run over them, and in the end, it didn't even matter. We uh, we put the foot down early, especially in that second quarter. What a second quarter. That was quite a display of football and quite a display of dominance and just um, really, oh, I don't know what the expression is. I don't want to say put us on the map, but it really just, it was a statement. It was definitely a statement to the competition because as we know, there's always been detractors throughout this season and we've kind of had to weather the storm both as fans and the players and coaches themselves, you know, like can't be the top 18, can't be the top four, top five, top seven, top two, whatever it was at the time, whatever narrative that they were going with, no one ever really took us seriously. And the win as a whole, but that second quarter in particular was just such a, just such a grand statement that we actually mean business. We do have a great team, which is balanced dynamic and filled with X Factor and we've got something to play for this season. So let's go into the line breakdown. All right. So starting with defense, as I usually do, uh, I felt that they had to absorb a lot early, uh, being a final, first week of finals. Uh, it was hot. It was a hot pill. Geelong were putting us under some real pressure. And let's not forget that they had the first three shots on goal. So uh, one or two of those go through and that first quarter and maybe even first half, uh, if you extrapolate it out, could have played out a little differently. But thankfully for us, those three shots on goal were behinds and um, didn't we enjoy getting stuck into Hawkins when he missed that first set shot on goal. And uh, as opposed to last qualifying final, it was, it was straight in front. So, um, yeah, it wasn't all rosy from the start. We did have to put up a bit of a fight. And to our defence's credit, they're in some supreme form and absorbed it with great application. Uh, I mean, Alir has been spoken about a lot over the last few days. Uh, he, it, yeah, as people have said, it was, it was as if he was wearing a Geelong jersey. They just kept kicking it to him. But as well as that is... He played a, a very interesting role. Um, I really liked how, again, a great coaching move. I had Mackenzie and Jonas on the two bigs and Alir on a small. So <laughs> knowing that the small would play a very small part in Geelong's game, even if they were going to win, um, 
it's kind of disrespectful, I guess, in a way, uh, putting him on. It was like Dowhouse and, and Simpson, I think, was the other player, but allowed him to just be free and be himself. But even when he was, uh, or, or when he did find himself up against the bigger opponents, he's still in that good a form and he has that much confidence that he's just holding up in the contest and, and really taking those marks or getting those punches in which we've grown to love from Aaliyah this year. Uh, having settled him in a position as opposed to when he was at Sydney and relishing it fantastically. Um, so a, a few key statistics uh, that came out of the match was that we won uh, marks inside 50. So conversely, we prevented them from getting the marks inside 50 advantage. They only took eight to our 12. Our intercept possessions, we won 69 to 57 and we won turnover only giving up it uh, the ball 57 times compared to Geelong 68. So a real defensive pressure type stat in that regard. And we lost those ones last time around against Geelong earlier this season. So it was good to flip those and definitely contributed to us surging the ball forward and putting them immediately under pressure and Speaking of surging the ball forward and putting them under pressure, again, another key statistic that I generally go with uh, and highlight with our defence is just our elite ball use coming out of the back half. So our defensive players and their disposal efficiency read as such. We had Aaliyah with 100%, Houston 90, Jonas 88, DBJ 81, McKenzie 75, Burton 71, Bonner at 70% disposal efficiency. So I think... As an average, I think we're a 75-plus as a team for disposal efficiency. And in a final, that is crucial. If you're getting the ball and you're using it at 75% plus or at a minimum 70%, that's going to take you a long way to winning a game because it means that you're not turning the ball over. It means you're not giving the opposition back. It means that you're giving it to your player and with the way we play generally in a good position. So, again, those players down there, they're back six or seven has really just locking locking down those screws and tightening up. It's set a pretty high baseline for them. I mean, you trust any one of them to make a decent decision and they all have their different elements. Um, just if I may, I just forgot to mention a point with Aaliyah. Um, although it was maybe a di- bit disrespectful to the player that he was playing on or, or their system and, and even though he, he did do it quite well and, and we got away with it that time, it, it could have easily um it could have easily worked against us had Geelong maybe moved the ball a bit better in the midfield and, and put our defence under pressure with Jonas and McKenzie being undersized against a formidable duo in Cameron and, and Hawkins. Um it's one of those sliding doors moments that are really interesting and, and we look upon favorably when it works for us and it did, it was fantastic, but it's just another, you know, it it potentially could have gone the other way, but very happy that it didn't. And um, uh, yeah, as I've epitomized in this wrap up, the defense had to be super tight, which they were, and they were all helping each other out on multiple occasions. So my best defender on the night, obviously uh, Aaliyah got the fans MVP and he's been spoken about endlessly, but I'm actually going to give my best defender to another player, and that's our captain, Tom Jonas. He finished the game with 18 disposals, five contested possessions, 14 kicks, four handballs, nine marks, eight intercept possessions, 10 one percenters, five rebound 50s, and 304 metres gain. Um, Like I've just mentioned, Tom had the hard job. He had to match up either on Hawkins or Cameron, uh, depending on the situation and, and the period of time in the night and he led from the front as captain. I think it was Kane Corns on the radio said like he, he can't remember the last time he was beaten one on one. Now that's a bit of a you know exaggeration probably because uh, I was I know I was and, and there was a few other murmurs earlier in this year. Um, Jonas was probably not at his best in terms of form but uh, much like a lot of the other players in our team, uh, he just kept on keeping on during those downish periods. And, and I mean, even when he was down in, in that kind of as- aspect of his game, losing some contest one-on-one, which he'd otherwise win, he was still using the ball fantastically well and, and getting in those one percenters and applied pressure. So 
although I had questions and other people had questions, he's built into this back end of the season and he really led from the front as skipper on Friday night. And um, on Friday night, I can't remember him being beaten too often uh, and just set a great example from the back going forward. My honourable mention goes to another player that I have had questions earlier in this season, and that's Darcy Byrne-Jones. So Darcy had 21 disposals, five of those contested, 17 kicks, four handballs, eight marks, six rebound 50s with two inside 50s and 337 metres gain. So anyone who listens to the podcast mentioned I have been critical on of Darcy Byrne-Jones and sometimes his attack on the football, uh, especially in the middle parts of the season and even the early parts of the season. Uh, but... I mentioned in, in one of those critiques that hopefully come finals time, he, with the win or go home mentality, although a qualifying final, we, we did earn double chance. With that kind of mentality, hopefully, hopefully it lights a fire within him. And luckily enough, he, he has been recapturing form over the last month. At the, the last few rounds of the season, he has been playing much more like the Darcy Byrne-Jones of last year in his best and freest at All-Australian year. And I can just picture many occasions where he just attacked a contest at 100%, whether it was a ground ball in defensive 50 or defensive half, or whether it was an aerial contest, um, whether he gained possession from a handball chain and just took the opposition on. It just felt like a a true Darcy Byrne Jones game, and then, like I said, he used using the ball at eighty one percent disposal efficiency. So, uh, by all accounts, he's recaptured his best form again at the right time of the year. I'll probably, say, you know, could be saying that about many, many people, um, and probably will. Uh, I don't apologise for it. It's we all know it. We can all see it. If you can't see it, you probably need to open your eyes a bit more. But this team has a lot of players all finding their best form at the right time of the year, which any premiership team, uh, that's what you want. And hopefully that's what we're gunning for this season. <laughs> okay, so moving on to the midfield. So I'll start off with the key statistics that we always attribute to the midfield, and that's clearances, contested possessions, and hitouts. So clearances, we actually lost 29 to 37. Most of those are in the centre, as has been spoken about in the media, 3 to 15. Our stoppage clearance is where we got the advantage, uh, 26 to 22. The contested possessions, we won 136 to 128. And the hitouts, we actually lost 31 to 36. So I mentioned in the preview with Aaron that being a final and knowing how those key statistics generally contribute to us winning a match, I I said that it could probably be a game where we would either lose those stats or lose one of those key stats and win the game or alternatively win those key stats and then lose the game. It just kind of had that feeling to me, uh, being a final particularly, but I mean, I guess the most important one is contested possession. Uh, we're now 17 from 17, I believe winning that stat, the clearance is somewhat of a worry. I don't know if, and as we all know, Geelong got the, the better end of the free kicks. There's no questioning it. You don't want to use that. You don't want to bring that up as a fan. You know, you seem a bit unhappy or salty if you've lost particularly, but it was quite clear and it was quite frustrating at the game. I was trying to be on my best behavior, um, you know, being my mates plus one um, in the box, but I just, I just got so frustrated and the, 20,000 people that were there were equally as frustrated and they let the umpires know. But I digress a little bit. I, I was saying that I'm not sure if free kicks from the centre count as a centre clearance. I'd have to I'd have to go back and check that. But, I mean, a, a few of their free kicks were from the centre and I don't know if that extrapolated it out a bit more. It may be a bit more even. But in saying that, I don't think we won a centre clearance genuinely until the third or fourth quarter. So happy that our system allowed for us to lose the centre clearance um, and setting up defensively behind the ball. But it's just a watch for me. We wouldn't want to make that a repeat effort in the preliminary final. We'd really want to at least halve the centre clearances. You know, centre bounces uh, in 
essence are random. So some you, you know, no matter how well you set up for a center bounce, sometimes the ball can just bounce in a different direction and, and kind of undo your planning a little bit. So along with the hitouts, I thought Scott Lysett probably lowered his colours. And another thing I mentioned in the preview was that Reece Stanley just tends to play a good game or his best game. I wouldn't say he had a good game, but his best games are against Port generally. I don't know if that's just an emotional feeling. It's not really based on anything. It's just, a, yeah, it's a gut feeling for me, but they, he wanted to hit out. So um, I felt that Scotty Lysette probably used a bit of effort in the Western Bulldogs game and maybe was a bit underdone. I'm not sure. He competed as well as he could have, I guess, but probably want a bit more from him in the preliminary final and hopefully in the grand final were we to make it. But I even still thought Pete, Pistol Pete Laddams uh, contributed well. I mentioned in my preview that Lysette would be the basher and crasher and, and Laddams would be there for the, the jumping and the midfield nous. That's more or less what we got from Pete. Uh, he entered some contests and jumped over the top of Ray Stanley, just settled the stoppage set up a bit more, I felt, on the night. Uh, so that was good to see. And again, that's a two combination that's really formidable now. Um, they've really gelled quite well together and, and Pete is contributing around the ground when he is resting, particularly up forward. And another thing I mentioned in my preview, uh, sorry to keep rattling these off um, in succession, but uh, we said that uh, myself and Aaron said that if Pete gets an early mark or kicks an early goal, that uh, you know he's on for the night. And he did exactly that. He even impressed me at times some with his defensive craft. It only There was only a few examples on the night, but it, it's showing a real growth out of Pete and making him a, a very well-rounded Ruckman. And you generally see... Ruckman resting forward, and it's particularly second Ruckman resting forward. So we already know how good he is uh, on the ground and in the midfield. And then up forward, we know he can kick goals. But if he's adding that defensive um, just block role to his game, um, yeah, that's just going to be a fantastic position for us to put him in in the years ahead. So really impressed with Peter Laddams in particular, just on some really minor accounts. He didn't blow the game away on his own. Um, he kicked the goal that he had the opportunity to kick, which is great, uh, nice and early as well. Uh, but yeah, small, but pleased with Peter Laddams' game. Uh, one big noticeable factor was that we brought manic pressure from ball one. You know, we won tackles 65 to 50, and that's mainly attributed to the the middle as well. It's just one of the most, and I mean, we, we've seen a lot of pressure come from our team recently. Uh, you know, the Western Bulldogs game was a high pressure game. The showdown was a high pressure game. And I mentioned at the time that it was a good tune up for finals. And it is proving to be, we just seem so comfortable with that pressure game. And Pressure is an interesting one to look at. I think it's another one of those things where a general sense of care for one another, for the team and for the coach, contributes to how much pressure you want to bring and for how long. And it's just one of those things that you see them fighting and fighting and fighting for each other, and, and it kind of warms your heart a little bit. Um, and it was relentless. It was relentless from go to woe. As I've said, we didn't let up on Geelong and made them look like the more inexperienced team, which is amazing. It's amazing to think about that. As a Port supporter, we've been through our ups and downs and to be able to gain a bit of trust and just be proud of just the way they go about it, starting in the middle with the pressure, the pressure on the ball carrier of the opposition it was really noticeable. Uh, I mean, you, you couldn't miss it. I just wanted to bring it up. It was really impressive and really noticeable even through it. Um, tipsy stupor. Um, I mentioned before we'd want to even up our centre clearances in the prelim. Um, I don't need to add any more to that. Um, I predicted Drew to Selwood. Uh, it looks like Drew is going to the best clearance player. Uh, it, it makes total utter sense cut off their source and make the rest of the players who aren't used to 
finding their clearance to pick up the slack. And with a player like Willem Drew, finishing with the most tackles on ground out of both teams with 11. He's just so comfortable at the level. I just could talk about Willem Drew for ages and just his seemingly mature head that he has. And, you know, playing against a guy like Selwood, I mentioned playing his 35th final and making him look second rate, it's just unheard of with a guy who's played, you know, less than 50 games in Willem Drew. <laughs> like, it's amazing to think that we we could possibly have a very good tagger, uh, which I've mentioned also in a previous podcast, who can accumulate the ball if given the role. But he's hasn't been given the role for the most part this year. He's been made to be accountable. And, and in this point here end of the season, be accountable for the opposition's best clearance player. And that's two from two. He blanketed liver against the Bulldogs, and he won the battle against Selwood, just manic. I loved it. Uh, I also noticed that Travis Boak, Ollie Wines, and Robbie Gray were the attendants at the first centre bounce. Again, the same as the Western Bulldogs game, and it's just a real symbolic setup. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, in particular, Gray for me, uh, like Boak and, and Wines being in the centre is no surprise to anyone, but just Robbie Gray being in there, it's like the three, some of our three more senior vital cogs to our team are just, it's a symbolic gesture to say, yep, we're putting the team on our back and we're going to make sure we get off to the best start and (laughs) probably overdoing it a little bit, but I love seeing those three start at the first centre bounce and um, yeah, I'd probably predict it to be the case for the preliminary final, no matter who we come up against. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Gray with his creativity and his slick clearance work, Boak with his just workmanlike attitude, and Ollie with the big ball. It is a nice, well rounded mix. And with the form that Robbie Gray has found himself since coming back from injury, and form that I've got to be honest, I didn't expect to see, um, it is a well rounded center unit. Uh, for those centre bounces, and we know they change throughout the game, but yeah, the first one is a very symbolic one, as I've said a few times now. So, moving on to my best mid, I mentioned in uh, one of my Facebook posts afterwards that it was probably Ollie on first instinct, and I think I've just got, I think I've got rose-coloured glasses for Ollie Wines, probably because. I want him to win the Brownlow and I keep wanting to bring him up and I've got money on him, which everyone knows. And yeah, but looking back on it and rewatching the game a couple of times, it's just clear to me that Travis Boak is the best, was the best midfielder on Friday night. He finished with 32 disposals, 16 contested possessions, 17 kicks, 15 handballs, five marks, seven tackles, 10 score involvement, seven clearances, seven inside 50s, and a huge 588 metres gained, which was the second most uh, out of the Port players. So Travis Boat was in absolutely everything from uh, the first quarter to the last quarter. Uh, he's just... I don't know what demon he has... Or what... Yeah, what entity he has sold his soul to or what he's sold it for. I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say even. But he is just humming along perfectly at 33 years of age. And looking at Travis Boak, I uh, I watched some clips from the Hall of Fame night and obviously Chris Judd got inducted into the Hall of Fame and some of Judd's movements around the ground back in his heyday. It's a bit hazy for me now. It's been a while since seeing Chris Judd play football. But there's a lot of Chris Judd in the way that Travis Boak plays, in my opinion. I don't know if I'm... Obviously, Chris Judd has, is probably a step above. He's one of the best players of the modern era. Um, maybe more so Carlton Judd for Boak. But just some of the, the way that he moved around the ground and impacting both in the middle and forward... Um, yeah, this Boak renaissance is, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm finding similarities there and, and seeing those highlights of Chris Judd, which is kind of like the shoulder, the posture and the strapping and I don't know, and just some of the sideways movement and, and like I said, impacting forward, it, 
yeah, just reminded me of uh, Travis Spoke a little bit. And conversely, Travis Spoke is reminding me of elements of Chris Judd. Hopefully, uh, Travis Spoke can win a Norm Smith as well. And hopefully, it's not in a losing grand final. But we'll wait and see. I thought that Travis Spoke uh, convincingly beat Dangerfield and Guthrie when matched up on those two. It's probably Guthrie, one of his worst games for the year, which he wouldn't be too impressed with. And Dangerfield, as we know, after the match, it's interesting how we hear these things after the match with Dangerfield played with a broken hand. But you go on the ground, you got to perform. Uh, if you're injured, then you don't play. So, yeah, I thought Boak, um, along with Ollie Wines, were matched up with those two in particular for most of the night and gave them a football lesson again, much like they did with the Bont against the Bulldogs. So, my honourable mention, I am going to give my honourable mention to Xavier Dersmer. I have tipped him to be the biggest improver a couple of times, and a couple of times he's put in a, a good half, particularly a good first half. He's been starting games well, but kind of petering out a little bit, contributing, but not keeping up that consistent standard. But I've got to hand it to Xavier Dersmer. He played a fantastic, again, fantastic first half, but he played out the match much better than what he had done in the previous month. And I, I just was really impressed with him. Even seeing him put on the stiff arm a couple of times, he's really – it's noticeable, it was noticeable at the start of this year that he's bulked up um, and he's put on a bit of size, and now he's kind of utilising that. Now that he's back to full fitness, he's got confidence in his body. Yeah, it was just really interesting. We used to attribute the, the stiff arm to Sam Pepper, but that's kind of been – Lost on him a little bit, in my opinion. And, uh, yeah, seeing Xavier Thursman just really attack some contests and putting everything into it on the ground and in congestion and one getting the ball, looking super confident. He finished the game with 24 disposals, eight of which were contested, 11 kicks and 13 handballs. He had the seven marks, four tackles, which is great pressure, 92% disposal efficiency, which, yeah, doing the hard stuff but using the ball well. And that hard stuff I'm mentioning, he had the 14 pressure acts. So I think it was in my preview pod with Aaron or maybe a pod before that, uh, that we know how well that Dersma can play, in particular in high-pressure games because he played a fantastic game in last year's preliminary final. So in the first final, finals week one for this season, for him to play, I think he was in our best five or six players on the ground at the end of the match. Great signs from Xavier Dersmer and another player who coming into his best form at the right time of the year. So our forward line. Uh, first point I have on our forward line is that's where our defence started. Which, you know, it's a bit odd to say that, but it really was. Once we got it up there, they just got to work. When they didn't have the ball in particular, they got to work. Our tackles in forward 50, we absolutely demolished Geelong 12-3. to So, just manic forward pressure, not letting them have an easy pathway out, which silently has been a bit of a criticism of mine on occasion, is that we can be a little bit too lenient with um, defences bringing the ball out of our forward 50 from a, a kick-in in particular. And I, I don't know if that is somewhat of a plan behind closed doors to kind of trap oppositions on the flanks close to the boundary. Uh, but I have noticed on occasion that sometimes it's a bit too easy, but for them to exit uh, their defensive 50 or our forward 50. But yeah, on Friday night, um, like I said, the, our defence started from there and it just makes each line after that that little bit easier to defend. So when the forwards are defending quite well, tackling, putting on that applied pressure. Midfield's defensive efforts are made easier and then defensive line and our last line of defence has made that extra element easier. So that was fantastic to see. Our inside 50 count, we won 60 to 45. Our marks inside 50, like I said before, we won 12 to 8. And our conversion inside 50 was 48% to 38%. So some real key stats contributing to us putting in a great forward effort. We also scored seven goals, eight, 50 points to one goal, six, 12 points from forward half chain. So we were turning it over in our forward half, again, with that applied and perceived pressure and making it count on the scoreboard. What's that? 
38 points, the differential in our favour. Um, so good luck to any defence stopping everyone we've got in the forward line. You know, it, it's happened. We've had contributors over the last month where if one guy's having a good game, another guy's probably having a quieter game and doing the off-ball thing, and then the next match, the guy who was doing the off-the-ball thing and not having a great game the last time around is putting their name up in lights and kicking the goals. And the player who was kicking goals the week before is doing the team thing. Um, it's just a one-up and one-down kind of thing. You know, everyone's taking their turn. Everyone's contributing when the opportunities present. When the opportunities are presenting, they're doing the team thing. And like I said, good luck. You know, most defences usually focus on two or three key pillars, but we've got six or seven, which is what we've recruited for, let's be honest. And it's what everyone was pegging as a real headache at the start of the season. Uh, and we're seeing the fruits of that coming out now. So my best forward for the night, I can't go to anyone apart from Maratio Fantasia. Just a real, uh, I don't think it was his first final. His first final for us, uh, definitely. Kicked four goals, one from the nine disposals. And he had five contested possessions within those nine disposals. Seven kicks, two handballs. He also applied 12 pressure acts. So what Arathio Fantasia did on Friday night is exactly what we re- recruited him for. Forward half pressure, dynamite goal awareness, and putting that the cherry on top. Uh, another key factor against Shillong is that he didn't play last time around. So something that they obviously would have prepared for, but another element to that game where we lost, which improved upon this match just gone on Friday night and uh, another key contributor to the scoreboard. It's just amazing. I don't think that he'll miss the prelim. I, I do agree with what's coming out and, that he is, it was just precautionary to take him off and um, with a couple of weeks rest, he, he should be fine. And, and let's hope he puts in another similar performance to that. But in saying that, like I've mentioned, if he has, if it's someone else's turn to kick the goals, um, he's still got the uh, the runs on the board in terms of pressure acts and, and tackles inside 50 and, and things like that. So that's what we'd expect from him. But in saying that, at the top of his form at the start of the season, he was having plenty of shots on goals and even leading our goal kicking. So I'd expect him to have another great game in the prelim, uh, but we'll wait and see. My honourable mention actually goes to Charlie Dixon. So I'll read off Charlie Dixon's stats. He had 10 disposals, five of which were contested, six kicks, four handballs, five marks, two tackles, eight score involvements, 80% disposal efficiency, and five inside 50s for himself. So... Although Charlie didn't kick the goals, he did the true team thing. He got a lot of attention by the defence. I mentioned in my preview that they don't have a key post, key pillar backman. They have a lot of mid-sized defenders in Geelong's back 50. And, I mean, they would have done all the defensive planning in the world. It surely would have planned to spread their defence more. But that's just the aura that Charlie Dixon has. It has he drew two, three, four, and fantastically brought the ball to ground. Competed, competed, competed all game, and more often than not, turned into scores uh, to the tune of eight score involvements, like I just mentioned. So yeah, we'd probably prefer him to kick some goals, and he did have one shot on goal from a, a good contested mark, I think it was. And um, you know, being our main figurehead up forward, we'd like him to get around the goals, sure, but could he, in fact, be the decoy for the rest of the final series and let our small forwards take the reins? It's an interesting uh, concept, and it's one that hasn't been done before. Uh, You know, Jack Revolt in the first Richmond Premiership, I think he was surrounded by five smalls, just being the lone tool, and Sure, he contributed with goals, and uh, you know I'm not going to predict Dixon to go goalless, you know, twice in a row. So yeah, it's a wait and see. Like I mentioned, you know, Buddy was a decoy in one of the Hawthorne Premierships. Not to compare Dixon to Buddy, but it is that it is a setup. You know, it is something that coaches would 
plan for and and have up their sleeves. So, but not taking anything away from Charlie Dixon, he he did play the perfect team game um, and contributed fantastically well. And that's why he gets my honourable mention. So, moving on to my hot and cold players, we've made the finals. Great form. There is no cold players. I'm not picking two hot players again. I'm just going to pick the one for this week. And my hot player for this round goes to Ryan Burton. Ryan Burton finished with 21 disposals, five of which were contested possessions, 19 kicks, two handballs. So really using it by foot. Six marks, eight intercept possessions, three inside 50s and five rebound 50s. And a massive 632 metres gains, which was the first... Uh, the most out of the Port Adelaide players. So just looking at Ryan Burton and the form he's in now, you just think to yourself, what a trade that was from Hawthorne and aren't they stupid to let him go? Uh, Now we're starting to see what Ryan Burton can do with the full season under his belt. And just some of the line-breaking sprint efforts that he did during the match were just amazing. He ran... I don't know if he ran too far to get that ball to Zach Butters, I believe it was, but he's used the whole length of what you're allowed at, you know, at least. So he's really just taking up some ground and and putting it in best position. And he kicked at 71%, so an improvement on last round, I believe. He got the high 60s. Um, Again, when... Ryan Burton's in supreme form. He's putting it on a dime and, and really surging the ball forward with some clean disposal. Halfback line, so so clean and crisp, and, and Ryan Burton epitomises that. So what a year he's having as a whole. I'm sure Montgomery would be really happy with the way that he's progressed this season. And, um, yeah, I can't ignore it. He's... He's finished off the year really well, breaking the lines, racking up disposals, racking up metres gained and influencing in terms of intercepts and inside 50s. So just a double-sided Ryan Burton, if you will. (laughs) So to round up, my best on grounds were three votes to Boke. Two to Ollie Wines and one to Orazio Fantasia. I thought for the two votes, Ollie Wines is game was still fantastic just bullying his way through everything and and really setting the tone in the middle um in that tandem with Travis Boak um yeah I I just felt he was influential so my final touches for this evening I had I, I just had a bit of a thought at work and it was more to do with Todd Marshall but just thinking back I kind of feel like the this flag push this season is kind of five years in the making. So I had a look back at the 2017 elimination final team. And although there are some key changes from that team, we also have a fair chunk of similar play, or a fair chunk of the same players that played on Friday night. So those are Riley Bonner, DBJ, Ollie Wines, Todd Marshall, Robbie Gray, Charlie Dixon, Travis Boak, Sam Pepper, Carl Amon, and Dan Houston. So there's those core groups of players. And as we know, 2018, we got Motlop, Jack Watts. We even got Trent McKenzie, actually. And we built a little bit. Coming off the back of that elimination final, probably thought we could surge a bit further, only being a win outside the top four that year. 2018, we started in great fashion, we fell off. 2019, we reset. We know we filled it with those gun draft picks. Recruited again well and into 2020. And, yeah, I just feel that around that core that played in the 2017 elimination final, A, they've now got a fair few games of finals under their belt from that game. And it's just, it feels like a couple of different blocks to Ken Hinckley's coaching reign and, and just something that I pondered upon uh, this week thinking about the football. Um, but in particular with Todd Marshall, I mentioned before that you're not changing the team and I'm a big Todd Marshall advocate, as you would all know, listening to this podcast. And like Ken has put in a lot of time with him and he's played in a lot of our finals now. Uh, that we've played. So 
I, like I said, I don't see the team changing. And it would be, yeah. It's tough. It's tough. I, I, I can't honestly predict what they'll do. We, we don't know. But I, if it was me, I'm leaving the team the same. And going back to this 2017, they were there in that heartbreak. And, and that would be sitting in their minds too. But on top of that, centralising on Todd Marshall, I think he's very important. And um, I, yeah, I, I'll... I don't see him coming out. My next point, the crowd was magnificent. How good was the crowd on Friday night? I mean, uh, it was just... We can't be surprised. We're not surprised. We all know how passionate and supportive our fans are. We are when supporting our team on match day. And, yeah, it was just amazing. Being at the ground, it was hot. It was a very uh, hot intensity should I say, the crowd was into it just from the first bounce. Riding the waves, the umpire decisions, the the pressure that we put on, the goals that we kicked, magnificent. You could hear it in the TV, like uh, on the replay, just amazing. Like great effort to everyone for only 20,000 people being there. Yeah, we made it sound like there was a full house and they've predicted – 25,000, I believe, for the prelim. Now, that's what we know of at this point in time. So much like a week ago, it was only 15,000 for the Friday night's match. So it's 25,000 now. I really hope that they increase it. Uh, I mentioned in my preview that like, there's just no reason to not relax COVID restrictions across the board, not just at the football, but... Uh, imagine how much noise. If 20,000 people are making that much noise in a qualifying final, geez, imagine how much noise a full house would make in a prelim or even a three-quarters full Adelaide Oval. Just amazing. Just amazing. Like I said, I was trying to behave myself, so really handed the baton to everyone else. I'm usually quite... (laughs) I can get quite vocal. If I'm being honest, I, I try and keep it somewhat under wraps and uh, supportive and positive most of the time. But yeah, you know, we're all port supporters, we're all passionate people, and we love our club. So um, yeah, keep it up. Hope everyone gets tickets. Not that everyone can, but uh, uh, yeah, good luck to everyone and the people that do get tickets for the next prelim. Uh, I hope I'm with you and I hope we make just as much noise, if not more. Um, so looking forward, obviously we have the week off, um, and we'll be watching Brisbane play Western Bulldogs with great interest. Personally, I hope that Brisbane play their grand final this weekend, being at the Gabba, and I hope they scrape over the line against the Bulldogs because I feel that playing Brisbane in the prelim will be playing a very tired, battered and undermanned team. And... If we were to play the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs just concern me a little bit more. I have a feeling they'll get better as the final series goes on. I don't believe they're as good in the elimination final against Essendon as what some people are kind of saying. They recaptured their mojo and whatnot. It was a wet weather game. Like, there was no other way about it. And had Essendon kicked straight at some vital times, the, the score may or the game may have gone a slightly different way. So in saying that, I don't really care who we play in the prelim. If we play like we did on Friday night, make no mistake, we will win the preliminary final. And again, if we play like that, we will win the grand final. We have to play that way for the next two matches that we play. I don't care if it's Brisbane, the Bulldogs, Melbourne, Geelong or GWS. It's... I feel, yeah, Melbourne's getting spoken about, and a lot of that is due to the fact that it would be a fairy tale for them. I, I believe that's why they're getting a lot of the plaudits in the media. But even them, I feel that their bottom six or seven players are inferior to our bottom six or seven players. So on a, on Grand Final Day, if we were to play them like many are predicting that will be the case, and I'm hopeful and confident that it will be, Play like we did on Friday night, we will win 
and we will win this year's premiership. Last point I want to make is that my best bet got up from my preview. So that takes us to five and five. For those playing at home, the bet was to for the total match score to go under 151.5 points. Me being silly and not putting the bet on when I tipped it to you guys, I had to settle for under 149.5 points, but even that made it quite easily. Like I said, the last game between Port and Geelong was quite an anomaly and it predicted it to be a low-scoring affair, which it was. So that's fantastic. That's 5-5. Five and five. Uh, Hypothetically, if you were to put a $20 bet on each bet, you'd probably have around $90 profit by now. So I look forward to having the week off, refreshing, checking the markets for the preliminary final and supplying you guys with another best bet. Really enjoying making some money for you. And in saying that, I think that's just about it for me. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode. It is a bit late. I apologize. Just life getting in the way at the early stages of this week. Um, but yeah, wanted to get something out. I wanted to wrap up Friday night's game while it was still had something in my memory. And it, it, I mean, it seems like an age ago at this point on Tuesday night. But um, yeah, wanted to get something out just to just to wrap up my feelings and thoughts on the qualifying final. So thanks for listening. Um, yeah, I'll be having a week off. Obviously, there's nothing to preview this week, so I'll be enjoying a week off. I am likely to feature in another podcast next week for a preview, just teeing that up at the moment. But, um, yeah, be on the lookout. I'm, yeah, just chatting to some other football personalities and uh, just sorting something out. So stay posted. Um, I'll uh, announce that or just let everyone know what's going on early next week. And I'll also be sure to put out my own preview snippet podcast, maybe a smaller one, um, depending on how the week goes and, um, and whatnot. But stay posted. We'll get back to that next week. But uh, in the meantime, if you haven't liked me on Facebook, I'd really appreciate you to do so. And Check out my content. I'm posting two or three times a week in between matches. So get involved, have a chat. I'm always good for a chat in terms of Port and the foot, uh, AFL. So get on there. If you're listening to me on any major podcasting platforms, I'd really appreciate a rate and review to get me up in the standings and get me in front of everyone else and providing my content to more people. Uh, tell your friends. But in the meantime, enjoy the week off. That's all for me. Bye for now.